See, I am sending my messenger to prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, indeed, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the descendants of Levi and refine them like gold and silver until they present offerings to the Lord in righteousness. This is the word of the Lord. Rabbi Gunter Plaut has written that we do not know the author of this brief work. Almost for sure his name was not Malachi. Malachi in Hebrew simply means my messenger. This was someone who saw himself as a messenger of the Lord. Later on in this same short piece, it has only 55 verses, that name would be Elijah. And to writers of the gospel, that name would become John the Baptizer. But I think there's a very real sense in which all of us are called to be my messenger. We believe this particular text was written about the year 450 before the Common Era. You need to go back about 137 years to the time when the Babylonians laid siege to the city of Jerusalem, when the city surrendered and they were able to breach the walls. They ransacked the temple, ransacked the palace, set both of them on fire, tumbled down the walls that protected the city, and burned the gates off their hinges. The king's sons were all killed. The king's eyes were gouged out, and he and the others were force-marched all the way to Babylon, modern-day Iraq. Fifty years later, an even stronger power from farther east, the ancient Persians, modern-day Iran, marched westward, conquered the Babylonians, and told the Jews they could go home. Our friend Rabbi Charles Sherman says that most scholars believe maybe only 10% of them actually went home. 90% of them had been born in Babylon. This was their home. Things were better now. The Persians were kinder and better, gave more opportunity to them than did the Babylonians. That handful of people who went home again found their beloved city the way older ones had told them they last saw it. Still no temple on the top of Holy Mount, still no palace, walls still tumbled down, no gates on the hinges. Eventually, under Ezra's leadership, they rebuilt the walls. Under Nehemiah's leadership, they rebuilt the temple. But it certainly wasn't as beautiful as before. They simply didn't have the resources that Solomon had available to him more than 400 years before. It was a difficult time, and the years wore on and wore on. The Canaanites had reasserted themselves while the Israelites were gone. They held the best watering holes. They held the best olive orchards. They held the best of the vineyards. They held the most fertile of farming land. And so the Israelites who had returned finally felt that God was not present, God was not caring, God was not participating. These words. This text, Rabbi Gunter Plaut says, when Malachi had finished his work, these 55 verses, there was no other prophetic voice, none in all of Judah. 
Number one, see, I am sending my messenger before me, and I contend that today you are that messenger, I am that messenger, we are that messenger. Two weeks ago, on a Sunday afternoon, we had an Advent workshop. The Reverend Eve Marie Campbell and those who work with her had established 16 different learning stations for your children and grandchildren to have lunch together and then be taught meaningful, significant ways to prepare the way of the Lord, to anticipate, anticipate all the way to December 25. When I prayed with this choir just before 11 o'clock, I said, God has called you and me to this time and place, to this time, to this place. I believe if he has called us, he will enable us. So we're going up those steps now with lots of energy and lots of enthusiasm for the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Tonight, when we come and light candles, when we hear names that remind us of familiar faces, lives so wonderfully well-lived, we will be messengers as we chase back the cold and the darkness in a place that's light and warm. Next Sunday, late afternoon, we will have lessons and carols based on those of Cambridge University in England. The Penseras studied there. They know this service well, as did Mr. Elder know that well before them. In the Great Hall, we'll fill it twice. We'll have wonderful singers. We'll have members of the Tulsa Symphony. We will have readers. Dr. Penzer always chooses some of our graduating seniors to be readers. I'm one of the readers. Another clergy is. We'll read these familiar texts and hear this wonderful music sung and played. And we will all be messengers. The next Sunday evening, we'll gather for Handel's Messiah. And this number you've just heard will be all the better because there will be 28 professional orchestra members playing right down front here as they sing. Handel chose selected passages. This one included these words he gave to the bass, the big bass voice. But who shall stand when he appeareth? Who can endure the day of his coming? We are messengers. When we come on Christmas Eve at 2 o'clock, 4 o'clock, 6 o'clock, again at 11 o'clock p.m., this beautiful young lady in our high school who would be Virgin Mary is a messenger. This handsome young man who would be Joseph is a messenger. The shepherds, the wise men will be messengers. And those of us who read or preach, those who sing or play, all messengers And just your presence here, the more of you, the greater anticipation. The more crowded the sanctuary becomes, the greater sense that something special must be happening here. Something special must be happening here. Number two, suddenly the Lord, and this translates, of course, the name given to Moses at the burning bush, the I am who I am will come to his temple. Greg Eans has written that he finally finished school, and his first big job sent him 700 miles from his hometown. I'd never lived so far away, he said. All of my family, my parents, my grandparents, I missed them terribly. 
And when I got home for Christmas, I'd brought presents for all of my closest family. When my grandfather opened his, he found a beautiful leather-bound book. And as he turned the pages, he found nothing, nothing written. And he asked me, Greg, what's going on? And I said, Granddad, since I've been away from you this year, I realize there's so many things I'd like to know about you that I don't know. This next year, I want you to write in the book things you would like for me to know about you and give it back to me as a present next Christmas. So Greg wrote that it arrived the other day. UPS delivered it. There it was. Unwrapped it and started to read. 1924, a day that will live in infamy, his grandfather wrote, I was born. He was graduated from high school in 1942 and had already met the young woman that he had fallen in love with and wanted to marry. He got his first job working for General Electric, and they were making all their plans to be married. And then that letter in the mail drafted into the United States Army. They quickly got married, and he was sent away, ending up in Germany. He said, one of the first letters I got from your grandmother said, guess what? I'm pregnant. And that would be your father, Greg. I didn't get to see him till he was already a toddler. I'll never forget Christmas, he said, 1944. My unit was caught up in the Battle of the Bulls. We were surrounded by German soldiers. And I ate cold spam out of a can. I ate cold beans out of a can. Thought I'd freeze to death. And then the war was over, and I got to come home. General Electric rehired me. I worked for them more than 40 years. Favorite hobbies? Woodworking? Fishing. Favorite pastime? Traveling somewhere with your grandmother. Most important work? The church. Most important work, the church. Suddenly, the Lord shall appear not at the mall, in the church, in the temple, at the synagogue, the Lord appears. Number three, who can endure it? Who can stand when he appeareth? Dr. Elizabeth Ochtemeyer in her commentary in this passage says, this is a military term in Hebrew. It's like a sentinel out there in the dark, dark night and suddenly, wow, all this loud light, this overwhelming light. Who can stand when he appears? Who can hold one's own when he appears? Who can endure the day of his coming? Mary Rosenberger is a preacher's wife. And she wrote recently that when she was decorating their tree, my mind went back, she said, 40 years before. My husband and I were much younger. We had a church in one of the worst neighborhoods near the downtown of Atlanta, Georgia. We had no budget for Christmas decorations for this tiny little church. We had a scraggly tree, the best we could afford, a few little lights, all we could afford. Christmas Eve came, 
We didn't know if anybody would show up or not. One 60-year-old woman came, the only one who came to help us prepare for the others. And then came in the others, one by one. One was a bartender. She worked in a sleazy little place about a block away. Her husband was in prison. I looked. There was a prostitute. I'd seen her plying her wares myself. I'd seen her sticking her head in car windows as they pulled up to the red light not far from our little church. Now she was eight months pregnant. She had a big black mark under her eye, meaning her lousy boyfriend was back in town. There was one mother, sad-eyed mother with three little children. There were three guys with army coats on. Forty years ago, I was pretty sure they were Viet vets, Vietnam vets now sleeping under a bridge in downtown Atlanta. There was Cecil, the chronic drunk. I never saw Cecil, she said, that he didn't reek of alcohol. And when he got too close invading his space, you could certainly smell it every time on his breath. The 60-year-old volunteer, my husband and I, brought out the food, a turkey, dressing. As we sat down, it was old Cecil who said, I think we ought to sing Silent Night. I looked at my husband. He hit the first note. And he and I and Cecil started to sing. And then the young mother. And then the prostitute. And then the bartender. And when the three young men in the army coats started up, it was wonderful. They could really sing. Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. Holder Knaba, this wonderful little boy with curly hair, it says in German. This little boy with curly hair who had just been birthed. Yeah. Who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? Yet there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared, that we may stand in awe of you. Number four. He is like a refiner's fire. It doesn't say a consuming fire, you see. Not a consuming fire. He is like a refiner's fire, so that that which is impure floats to the top and can be dipped off. He is like fuller's soap. One of the translations I read this week said lye soap, lye soap. The kind that poor people used to make. Lye soap that really takes away all the dirt and grime. That's what he is. Lye soap, fuller soap, refining fire. All the while, you see, removing what is unnecessary so that that which is pure, gold, silver, a loving heart, a giving spirit can be revealed. This last year, Van Varner died. I never knew Mr. Varner, seen his picture. He wrote devotional materials through guidepost publishing for 50 years at least, I'm sure. Lived a long time, outlived his wife. The last years of his life he lived alone in a small little apartment in New York City. 
Several years ago, he wrote a story that I've liked very much. Short days in New York, as they are in Tulsa, of course, in mid-December. He started home on the subway. It was dark. Got down to the subway floor, stopped. He said, every car was jammed. I pushed my way in and finally managed to just grab hold of one of those poles so I wouldn't fall when it stopped the next time. As I was gradually able to pull myself a little bit closer and closer to that bar, so the pole, so I wouldn't fall down, here I was almost face to face with a woman sitting right there. She had a big button on that said, Joy! But I looked at her face. It didn't look joyful. It looked sad. There was a woman sitting next to her, and she looked even sadder. And the fellow that was clinging to the same pole I was, he looked saddest of them all. Suddenly, it stopped again. Several more pushed on. No one got off. It was just more crowded than ever. So as we started moving again, I don't know, I just blurted out to her, I love your joy pin. And the other woman said, I was thinking the same thing. And the guy holding onto the pole said, so was I. And he said, this woman's face changed. A warm smile, caring eyes. It was a mother's face. It was a sweet, wonderful mother's face. And suddenly the four of us were talking with each other about Christmas, about joy. Lurched to a stop. She got up to get off. She looked at the three of us and said, God bless you. And you know what? We felt blessed. Amen.